Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 243. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to discuss the final film in the Captain America trilogy, Captain America Civil War. And we are so excited to be joined by our friend Ricardo, who came on for our Wakanda Forever review. And we talked about having him back to do this review then, and we are so glad that we were able to make this work. Ricardo, welcome back to Monoreal Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be back and I'm ready to dive in. So the reason we wanted to have you back on was because you mentioned how much you love this movie when we were talking about Wakanda Forever. What is it about this film that you enjoy so much? You know, um, I really enjoyed this film because uh, you get to see the Avengers without it being an Avengers movie. And I really like the dichotomy of the whole story where it's like no one is wrong. Like everyone has a reason for what, uh, everyone has a reason and a cause for why they have the stance that they have. And just to see them work through it, um, I think it's it was just the perfect movie for me. And then for also for what it's setting up as well. For sure. Okay, well, this is going to make for a really interesting conversation because I had mentioned last week that one of the things that I didn't love about Winter Soldier the first time I had seen it is how tonally different it is. But when you do look at it, when you do look at it in the context of being a political thriller, um, it makes a whole lot more sense. But at the same time, I still sort of bump on that it's so ingrained with S.H.I.E.L.D., it feels like an Avengers movie, but you're missing the rest of the cast, and I miss the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. And now you get them back, and they're fighting. So admittedly, I didn't love this one as much the first time that I saw it. Mm-hmm. I don't rewatch it that often, so I'm coming into this with pretty fresh eyes. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed this movie. I liked it at the time, but I liked it more after we got the end of the infinity saga because you saw everything that it was setting up because when we saw it the first time um i remember feeling like okay so you just have two like headstrong type a i'm the leader i'm the boss characters and i don't want to say they're bickering because ricardo to your point both of them have different sides of the fence that they're on and and both of them are right at the same time and that's the thing like and I have it in my notes, it's like, who do you side with? And every 15 minutes, who I side with is a different side because they're both correct. It wasn't until we got the conclusion, and that's the brilliance that was this phase of the MCU, where it was like nothing was done by accident other than Iron Man 2 and 3. Nothing (laughs) was done where it wasn't resolved. Everything was done with purpose, and even though you didn't understand why it was happening in the moment it was happening, it all paid off at the end. Like, I could not stand Infinity War the first time we saw it. I walked out of that theater saying, what a waste of money, what a waste of time, 10 years of building to this, and we're left on a cliffhanger. It's not until you realize that it's Thanos' film and that it's all going to pay off an endgame. So this was one that I didn't have 
such a strong reaction the way we did to Infinity War. But I definitely think that this movie hits different and pays off more now after everything else has already come out. But I am curious to see if that's how your stance is, if that's how our friends out there, if their stance has changed on this film now that everything is wrapped up. And do we miss this? Do we wish that Marvel would do more like this? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code MONOREAL at checkout. Visit FierceFoxCo.com to check out all of the collections. It's 1991, and the Winter Soldier is sent to extract vials of Super Soldier Serum from a vehicle and kill its passengers. In present-day Lagos, Captain America, Wanda, Natasha, and Sam attempt to stop an attack on the Institute for Infectious Diseases from a terrorist group uh, led by Rumlow. One by one, they fight off his men and collect a vial of a biological weapon. When Rumlow attempts to suicide bomb himself to kill Steve, Wanda telekinetically traps and diverts the explosion. However, she accidentally sends it into an office building, causing mass destruction. The open of this film, and it pays off two hours later, but the car in the beginning, if we only knew that all of this started here, and and so much of it ties back to Tony... This is such an important scene that I feel people forget exists in the MCU, at least up to this point, because there's so much going on in Marvel that, you know, it it kind of mucks it up a little bit. But the scene is so important. Admittedly, I did, because like I said, I don't rewatch this enough. Um, I'm curious, though, just because I'm not a comic book book reader, was this always canon or did they capitalize on something that they planted in Iron Man? Because I did recently rewatch Iron Man and part of um, the opening montage where they're giving us Tony's rise to fame, you see the headline of Howard Stark dies in a car accident. So they covered their bases even way back when in 2007. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a comic book buff. I was more of like an X-Men comic book buff. But, um, you know, the beginning of this, I think, was, like you said, um, Sean, it's so important to the the film. And I also just love in the, you know, the opening sequences and everything. I just love the espionage of it all. I love the, um, the, the teamwork. You know, I love to see how, again, it's, it's giving us the Avengers without giving us like an Avengers movie. So just everyone working together and trying just to, even the, the, the chase scene, like when they were, you know, chasing down, um, to get the, the to get the bot like I mean I was taken a, a blown away because I was very and every time I watch it I have the same feeling and the, I get the same reaction where it's like um, Scarlett Johansson phenomenal um, at hand to hand combat like just killing it you know what I mean going head to head with enhanced individuals and she's not even like enhanced like you know what I mean just phenomenal so i just i love the beginning of the of the of the movie i love it that is what makes her one of my favorites i've mentioned it on the show before because she just goes in 
She doesn't have a yeah. shield. She doesn't have a hammer. She doesn't have powers. And it's just so admirable that she's just in with the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad you bring that up, too, because that's one of my favorite things about this opening is that we've seen the Avengers become this well-oiled machine, like especially in Ultron, where in the beginning there, you know, you've got that extended shot of the fight. They're all working together. They're kind of laughing and joking. They're calling Cap out for using language. Um, so it's nice to see them working with the new recruits, but they aren't quite there yet. They don't have that same gel that the core six have, but they're trying to get them on board, trying to get them up to speed. Like when Nat says to, um, Wanda, you need to start, um, you need to start looking over your shoulder and, you know, always be aware of your surroundings, something to that effect. So I like that they're trying to bring them into the fold. Um, Sam's progression here is incredible now that he's working with Red Wing um, and he's counting down, you know, as he's reporting to Cap how many uh, bad guys there are. You know, he's like, I count seven, five now, four, as he's taking them out. Um, So I love that reintro for Sam. Um, And I also love the levity that this scene brings, you know, coming off of the car accident, because as we're starting to fill in these holes of Bucky's backstory, it's getting very dark. And up to this point, um, they've sort of played with our fear of the unknown. We know it's bad, but now you have to deliver on that. So this is going to get really, really dark before it gets better with Bucky. And I think one of my favorite things about this is the action is good. I like seeing Rumlow again and, and seeing where he went. But I think my favorite part about all of this is that very early on, and again, it goes back to what I said about how they did not waste any opportunities here. You see just how unstable Wanda is. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they were able to carry this over through the Infinity Saga into her own miniseries, into Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness... Like, she's she's innocently unstable, and to somebody admittedly, like myself, that knows enough about Marvel, but I'm not a super fan, You anybody that's listened to the show long enough knows I was Batman. That was my, that was my guy. So I didn't deep dive into the comics. I didn't deep dive into the source material. You would have very easily assumed she's going to have her character arc in Endgame, and she doesn't. I don't think, even up to this point, all of these years later, we haven't seen her character arc yet. We still haven't seen it. So um, I I love that they planted it here because what they did with her transcends even the MCU because Mm -hmm. now they've spawned off into television, albeit her show was one and done, which I think was a shame. But the fact that they could do so much with that and not miss a beat is absolutely incredible. If, if, if so, if I can also piggyback on what you just said, like with, even with Wanda, and just like that, just like you were saying, Jackie, is that, um, it, you know, her being one of the newbies, you would think that, um, you know, even in, in introducing her, that they would, well, again, the people that are not the superheroes, they don't really understand having mercy on her but you know you would think man like she's she's a new she's new to this you know have a little mercy it was like one little 
one mistake that she made because again she was trying to be a part of the team she was trying and again what she did was great like you know how she was able to confine that that bomb but she really didn't i guess she's learned was learning her powers or just didn't really know how to control it or you know whatever the case is i wish they would have had a little mercy on her um but again i understand because they were kind of setting it up to you know with the whole sokovia of course and the other thing is that this is also the intro to t'challa and his father king t'chaka and i'm so upset that every time black panther is on the scene somebody important has to die like i'm like oh my god like we just met this man and now we have to kill him off you know what i mean like i don't know in any other um property of of the mcu where so many important people are killed off so quickly right you know what i mean i'm like dang uh, you know so that was the, the other thing about this whole thing that i was just like they we just met the man now we got to kill him off right you know? right no this movie this probably has i mean other than the snapping it probably has the most big deaths between T'Chaka and then we actually see the Starks go out, which I hadn't really considered. Um, But to your point about Wanda, that was exactly what I was going to say. I thought it was such a bold choice to have her be the one to hurt civilians after, first of all, after everything that she's been through, she just lost Pietro in the last time we saw her in Age of Ultron. Um, so she's dealing with that. And I definitely think that leans into what you were saying, Sean, with what they're setting up and how she can't necessarily control her powers. And this is what happens when she becomes unhinged. You know, people get hurt, whether she means to or not. Yeah. Um, but I was surprised that they didn't go with more of a main character because this is what is going to become the point of contention between the Cap and Tony or one of the points of contention throughout the rest of this film is getting the job done versus civilian lives. Um, But I really love that that is what the film as a whole starts to break open and explore and become very self-aware because to this point, we have all these superhero movies, whether it's Marvel or DC, and you see these epic fight scenes taking place and there is so much destruction and cities crumble around them. And, you know, especially if you have a Snyder cut that goes on for hours and hours, like there is mass destruction in those scenes. So I love that they sort of played with that idea and questioned their own genre of what happens now to all of the other people that were innocent bystanders watching our hero save the day, but now they have to deal with the fallout. Yeah. yeah, because nobody ever thinks about that. We all right. sit there and go, well, they stopped the bad guys. Yeah, they destroyed four buildings in the process, but they stopped the bad guys. And, and that comes to a head because Tony Stark gives a presentation at MIT where each student receives a grant. However, we see that Pepper did not show up for her portion of the presentation. There he is confronted by a mother of a son killed in Sokovia. Meanwhile, we learn that several Wakandans were killed in Lagos, leading people to start questioning and turning on the Avengers. Tony arrives at Avengers HQ with the Secretary of State Thaddeus Ross, who tells the group that the UN is ready to prepare the uh, Sokovia Accords to oversee the Avengers and prevent them from acting independently, which uh, upsets everyone but Tony. So, kind of 
piggybacking off of this entire conversation, this scene starts with the memory scene, Tony, right? And he says, this was my, what do you say, my $500 million uh, therapy session yeah and something to that effect to s- now the de-aging on Robert Downey Jr. was very good um and I to see that be the moment that he spent with his parents the final moment before they left and to see the regret that he still carries that weight up to this point he's not carried regret for anything else that he's done other than build WMDs which we saw in the first Iron Man film that his goal was to eliminate that and change Stark Industries, and he did it. So to see him still carry this pain and this weight was a very powerful scene, and it's only made worse by what happens after he gives the presentation at MIT. Right, because coming off of Age of Ultron, you know, his goal was peace in our time, and obviously... That's not what happened. That sort of blew up in his face and Sokovia made it 10 times worse. But, you know, he's still of that mentality of we had to save the most people that we could. But now it's such a cold, hard slap in the face because he has to consider the individual lives that it cost in the process. Yeah. And I I think here also we see there's so many things happening because it's almost like we see Tony have a deeper why. you know, he couldn't save his parents. And at the same time, the one that he loved isn't there either. Pepper's not there. And so then you have this mother coming, talking about how her child was killed. And so I think for him, this is a moment for him where he's realizing that, yes, you know, eradicating weapons of mass destruction and, you know, turning around Stark Industries. But even in him doing all of that, He's still alone and he doesn't really have a family, you know? And so I think his interaction with that, with that mother also was just kind of like the icing on the cake. Also why he's doing what he is doing for the students, almost as if, um, you know, there were like children or offspring um, for him. And, um, and also, you know, the whole conflict with, with the civil war, it's like, almost like he's trying to, keep together the last bit of what he considers a family. Right. Um, you know, so if we do this together as a family, we, you know, and so I feel like that is part of the inner conflict um, that we're seeing with Tony, where it's like, he's Iron Man, you know, yes, he's this Iron Man, but there's a part of him that longs for family. And it's a part of his humanity that I think um, we haven't seen before that kind of humanizes him. Because again, Iron Man is like a robot, but just kind of like humanizes him in a way that I feel like we haven't seen before. I'm really glad you bring that up now because that was going to be my my big question for both of you. You know, they do all of this to really strip Tony down, really peel back the layers, make him confront his past and his present and everything that he's built with the Avengers and to Ricardo's point, his chosen family. Um... But when it comes down to signing the accords, I think one of the things that I didn't love about this movie right off the bat was that I felt Tony and Cap did the opposite of what was expected. And they picked the opposite side of everything that their character has stood for up until this point, which watching it now, I think makes for a much more interesting movie. But 
Tony's never been a rules guy. And I think that's what I was taken aback by the most was he he wants to sign this now. He's going to say, all right, let's work hand in hand with the government when he's never, ever done that before. He's never listened to anyone. Um, And then the cap has always been, I mean, he's a soldier. He takes orders. It's just in him to do that. And now he's like, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to conform to what you tell me, especially coming off of his arc of um, coming off of his arc in Age of Ultron 2. He's already angry with Tony for going for not discussing um, making vision as it becomes as a team and not having a team discussion about it. And Tony asks him in that in that moment, what would you have done differently if I told you? And his answer is, we just would have done it together. Um, so I kind of felt they sort of did the complete opposite of what's been built to at this point. And I wanted to get your guys' take on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so I also feel like they were both fighting for the same thing. Right. Because if you think about Cap, you know, Bucky was his family. You know, he didn't have anyone from his time um, but, um, you know, Carter, right. who was old, you know what I mean? And so for him, not only him knowing that, yes, it was the Winter Soldier that killed Tony's parents, not Bucky. He understood that. But there's like, there's no way, it's almost like, um, how do you, how do you tell, um, how do you how do you tell the thing that you're sac is it kind of like a, a biblical thing with like Abraham and Isaac? How do you explain to the sacrifice that I was told to kill you? Like how, it doesn't make any sense, you know what I mean? And so how do you explain? Um, how does he explain that to Tony? Right. You know what I mean? That he one he knew that he this is the person that killed your parents, but also this is not the person that killed your parents, you know, someone I love. So I feel like they were both fighting for the same thing. They were fighting for um, for family. Um, and I do agree that the roles were reversed. And I think that made more of a dynamic movie. I think it made more of a dynamic storyline. And I think it also allowed us to see the, it's, it's almost like it allowed us to see Tony's heart, but it allowed us to see like Captain America's like strength in a different way because we know that he's physically strong but we got to see him be strong in a in a different way and so i think it gave both of them depth of character it gave their character more depth and i think um again they were fighting for literally the same thing but from two different worlds two different perspectives you know what i mean and two different um ideals the difference between the two, and I think the subtle brilliance of what they did here with having them do what you don't expect them to do, is that Captain America is military. He is a soldier. So you're right. He's going to fall in line and follow the rules. So the fact that he's a bit of an anarchist in this perspective, I can sit there and say, okay, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from, but ultimately and at the end of the day... He's about finishing the mission. That's all this is. Because remember something. By the end of this movie, almost everything that he's doing here is in service of Bucky till the end of the line. So for 70 years, that's my mission. Tony Stark, at the end of the day, is a civilian. 
He doesn't look at this the same way. He's never going to look at this the same way. He's a soldier because he had the money to put a suit together and fight bad guys. As far as a soldier goes, that's where it ends for Tony Stark. Iron Man is a suit. Tony Stark is the person that controls it. He's a civilian. He's never going to look at this through the eyes of the military. And I think the best line in this argument here is that he calls out his own past arrogance. When he says, we dropped a building on him while we were kicking ass. He's calling out how outrageous the whole thing really is. And frankly, in this case, right, wrong, or indifferent, I'd be honest with you, I agree with Ross. You know, I I start thinking of it from the big picture, and it's like, I want to root for Captain America. I want to root for the Avengers. But at the end of the day, and and, 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 and what they do to each other and what uh, Helmet has them ultimately do to each other only serves to prove Ross correct. Their superhuman strength, they're incredibly intelligent, but they're flawed individuals. And with too much power, like, think about the destruction they caused doing the right thing. All it takes is one of them, and it's going to end up being Maximoff, doing the wrong thing in their own self-interest, and you see how everything comes tumbling down. I, I honestly think that Tony and Ross are correct in trying to get them to sign this uh, Sokovia Accord. And it sort of has to happen because up until this point, S.H.I.E.L.D. was the thing that was keeping them in check. They sort of answered to S.H.I.E.L.D., but they dissolved that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, and I also feel like Ross... You know, Ross is a very, very tricky individual because, like you said, yes, yeah, S.H.I.E.L.D. was the thing that could um, control or could, you know, could kind of steer them. And so now with them signing these accords, I feel like it was just really about control. And I feel like in, in some way they were set up so um, he could be proven right. You know what I mean? I feel like for Ross, it was really about controlling because that's really what he wants. He wants to be in control, you know? And so I think the whole scenario was was kind of set up to make him right. So he could be like, see, this is why I need to have control or we need to have control over, you know, what you guys are doing, so. Have you started Secret Invasion yet? Yes. Okay, so I have to ask, do you think... He was a scroll the whole time, looking at it now, looking at the first appearance, or do you think he is one of the people who got possessed? I'm possessed, I'm using it as as a loose term, but um, I'm still, we're only like three episodes in, so I might have that question answered down the line, but I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. You know, it's it's so hard to really, it's so hard to, to make a decision on that because again, when you, you, it's so much to consider. You gotta consider the timelines. You gotta consider when they arrive. You gotta, I mean, so I really don't know. And it's really hard. I feel like at this point, he's not a scroll. Like in Civil War, he's not a scroll. Um, because again, they have their own agenda, but it's really under the the confines of what's his name sorry i threw you for a loop with this question <laughs> no, with the, the the um fury fury yes you know the, he's really the person that is um that has been driving the the, the scrolls you know what i mean correct and i don't think at this point because i don't think fury would have 
wanted them to sign the, so the, the, the accords. So I don't know if at this point he's a scroll. You know what I mean? So that's in my brain. I'm thinking, well, Fury, I don't think Fury, Fury wouldn't want that. So I don't think they're driven by Fury, you know? So that's my only reasoning for that. So, but it's so hard to tell because with Secret Evasion, it's like, oh my God, like who, he's a scroll. Like she's a scroll. Like it's literally threw me for a loop and there's a lot to think of, think through. It's shaking up everything we know. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't know if he is yet, but I feel like maybe in Black Panther, the way that he wanted to help Wakanda and be on the right side of what was happening, it would be so interesting if it was sort of like an outside looking in perspective. And mm. that's where he chose to put his faith in humanity if he is in fact a scroll at that point. Right, 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 right. I agree. You're in a long line of people that Jackie has asked this question to. If she sees a six-year-old wearing a Spider-Man shirt at Magic Kingdom, she asks the same question. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. No, and I love the marketing and how they've planted them everywhere and just the shakeup of everything. I love it. Yeah, and now with the Super Scrolls, it's just like, oh, my gosh. I'm really, well, I'm like, I'm excited to see how it ends. But you already know me. As if anxiety in this culture is not high enough to begin with. Now, every time you see something Marvel related, you're like, I don't know if I could trust them. Because exactly. they had scrolls at the premiere of Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. Volume three, they had them off to the side. And it wasn't until they were like, ha ha, gotcha. And they zoomed in on all their pictures and revealed it. It's br the whole thing is just so brilliant. I love it. Trusted. You can't. No one can be trusted. We meet Helmet Zemo, who kills Bucky's former Hydra handler and steals a book containing trigger words that will activate Bucky's brainwashing. Back at HQ, Tony and Steve take opposite stances on the Sokovia Accords, and the group bickers. Meanwhile, Agent Carter passes away in her sleep. Uh, let's talk about the introduction of Zemo here. Um, he is, from the moment he comes on the screen... Everything that he does is so incredibly calculated, and it is so incredibly diabolical. He's a great villain. I think that he was the right villain for this film. Um, and I think that... I, I love that we keep coming back to this idea that no matter what Captain America does, that um, Hydra's always going to be there. there. There is always going to be a piece of Hydra that is going to be around the corner. It's lurking. It's haunting him. And I, like, the fact that they are going to do everything that they can to unleash Bucky as a weapon, because ultimately, that's what the Winter Soldier is. You know, he's he is a weapon for Hydra. And I thought that uh, Daniel uh, Burrell did a really great job with the role. I agree. Um, I think... As far as villains go, they were intentional about casting somebody that doesn't look like your traditional villain. Because at the end of the day, his story arc is going to be that he's a father and he's wanting to avenge his family. Um, so you couldn't go with a quote unquote big bad like we've seen in almost every other trilogy to this point. I mean, Tony's fought some, you know, he's fought some guys in suits. They're all, like, larger, more menacing. Um, Thor, same thing. So 
I like that they steered away and they gave us somebody very unsuspecting. Um, and I also love to your point, Sean, that they are still managing to bring Hydra in in some way without it being direct. Because I feel like after what happened, um, that they had infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. and they were there the whole time, I feel like having another avenue for them to come back again would have felt like a retread. It would have felt like we've seen this. It would have felt very stale. Mm -hmm. um, and disappointing for a movie of this caliber. So I love that they were able to still have an avenue to get them in this film, but it's it wasn't so obvious. Yeah, and, and to your point, here's another father, another person wanting to avenge their family. So, you know, I kind of see it as a, you know, as a red thread throughout the whole, you know, movie is that, even the even the villain is trying to avenge his family. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fighting that whole concept of family. And here's another thing that I realized is that um, the Avengers were so distracted because I was like, how the heck did he, Zemo get so close to Bucky? It's right. like, and nobody realized it. And I was like, see, that is because the Avengers were distracted. And not until they were like, who is that? You, you remember? They were like, who is that? Like, they were questioning who was in there with him, right. with, um, with Bucky. And so they were distracted. And it furthermore proves the point why the government shouldn't be handling these things. <laughs> because they just let the man right on in, had the, 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 uh, the Avengers distracted, so the people who actually would have been able to catch it before it happened didn't even notice it until it was happening. And then when they realized it, it was too late. Right. You know what I mean? And so the government can handle certain things, but also they need to give the liberty for the enhanced individuals, the Avengers, to do what they do. Right. You know, it wouldn't have happened. It, I mean, they caught, but it was too late when they realized, when they started asking the right questions, he was already there doing what he, you know, what he does. Speaking of distractions, the death of Agent Carter is another one. Mm -hmm. We see the beat in Winter Soldier where he goes to visit her. So obviously, no, we know that she was still alive, that she knew he came out of the ice. They did have their moment of closure. Are we killing her off in this film so that it feels like a Captain America film? Was this whole thing necessary? I think yes and yes. And again, it's the whole... Because um, again, I think with... There, there had to be that loss because again, that's family for him. True. And so we see that Tony has lost his family, right? Um with Captain America, you know, the only family that he really knew was Bucky and Carter. And so he thought he lost Bucky, but Bucky came back. But so he had to lose someone else in order to kind of balance out his why. You know what I mean? And so I feel like that gave him even more of a reason to fight for, for Bucky because Bucky was really all that he had that represented his past. You know what I mean? And so, and again, it is a, also, 
it is also a Captain America movie. And so that was necessary to kind of recenter that because it happened now. You know, it wasn't like I lost someone 20 years ago. It was like, now, this is happening now. And so I think that was a very important key to bring it back to, yeah, guys, the Avengers are here, but this really is a Captain America movie. So that I think that was necessary. Right. That's interesting, though. I had never considered that that is yet another parallel to Tony in this film in particular. It's not just about their families. It's that Tony and Pepper are broken up at this point or taking a break. Um, and now the Cap has lost his best gal. So they really... It, it almost introduces the idea that all they have is each other, not just the team. It's they they have to put everyone else aside and support each other through this. So I guess then, yes, the answer is it is necessary. And it is also a great introduction for Sharon, too. Or we, well, we've seen her at this point. Right. But now it's the reveal that she is uh, Peggy's niece. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing, too. Um, well, let me let me just get into this and then and then we'll 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 circle back to that. Steve travels to London for Peggy's funeral and Sharon's eulogy inspires him to say no to the Sokovia Accords. We also learn that Tony, Rhodey, Vision, and Natasha have signed the document. In Vienna, where the accord is to be ratified, a bomb is detonated, killing uh, King T'Chaka in front of Prince T'Challa. Security footage shows that quote-unquote the Winter Soldier set off the explosive and T'Challa declares that he will kill Bucky. Steve, uh, Steve, Sam, and Sharon arrive in Vienna to locate Bucky, who is in Bucharest, unaware of what has happened. So to circle back around to the last question that you asked. Sorry, I got ahead of this. It's all right. But but for nothing else, you needed her to pass away so that you'd get to this funeral scene because, you know, to to Ricardo's point, you know, she means so much to Steve um, that other than Bucky, that her words carry more weight than anybody else that we have seen in the MCU when it comes to Steve specifically. So had it not been for that eulogy, had those words not struck a chord, could Steve on his own have just said, I've seen tyranny, I've seen what happens, and he talks about it earlier, I've seen what happens when one person takes control of this, that, and the other, and has too much power. You could, but I feel like it would be a little bit of a retread, it may be a little even cliche for the character. I think you needed something to push him over the top, and I think that that was probably the best means of doing it. I Mm -hmm. felt it was a little heavy-handed, and on the nose. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, I, you know, I love how in this movie they use almost the, the male egos to butt heads, but they are all, it's always the voices of the women, the feminine energy that kind of recenters their, um, their thought process. Because even when, like, like you, to your point, Sean, you know, he probably would have signed if it wasn't for her voice but then also when him and steve were in the room together and he was going to sign steve brought up wanda and he was like wait a minute you 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 have her you have her trapped yes and so the woman that came in to make him change his mind again you know what i mean and so i love how they're 
using the feminine energy to be the thing in the middle to kind of balance out the ego, the ego making decisions from the head, making decisions from the head. You know what I mean? So I just love how they use that as a means to help steer them, you know? That's such a great point because we even get that from Nat in the next scene once we get to Vienna where she's the first one who introduces us to T'Chaka and T'Challa. And, you know, we saw her at the end of Winter Soldier where she's basically outing everyone and everything, including herself. She's on trial for her actions, I'm sort of, because she's like, you know where to find me if you need me. So she's kind of throwing her finger up at the government at this point as well. But now she's also Team Tony where she decides to play nice and play by the rules. And she's the one to apologize to them first for what happened. So... You're right. They are using that the feminine energy, that maternal instinct almost um, to drive everything forward. Yeah. Yeah. And you do get introduced to T'Chaka and and, uh, T'Challa. Obviously, that is John Connie playing T'Chaka and Chadwick Boseman playing uh, T'Challa. They plant so much of the plot of Black Panther in this film, uh, starting with this scene and, and starting with, you know, the conversation that Nat is going to have with T'Challa later, you know, where he says that, uh, I think he, I think the, the line is, death is only the beginning to my people. So how, yes. you know, how this plays out later, you know, and what we see play out uh, in, the, in the two Black Panther films that we have up to this point in time. Um, they do so much to plant it here and they... It it, it it impresses me upon rewatch. I think the most impressive thing on rewatch with most, if not all, of these MCU films, and it goes back to what I said earlier, how they didn't miss any opportunity to plant something that became such a major, major device later on. Um, but I love the introduction of these characters. Uh, it's incredibly heartbreaking. Um, I, I do wish that we would have had a little bit more time with, T- with T'Chaka, but we get that further on in Black Panther. Um, what it does is that it it introduces the idea that T'Challa is going to be motivated by revenge. And that's so different from the T'Challa that we see later on. But I think that it's important that this is how you introduce the idea because that's obviously going to be his character arc, you know, as, as the films play on. What's so interesting to me too, I mean, I love that little beat with the two of them and Nat. Um, But you mentioned the conversation that they have after the fact. Um, It's the polar opposite of what Tony and Cap are fighting for because we've been saying that they're fighting for their families and you would think that T'Challa would want to follow in his father's footsteps, that he would want to honor his father's death in that way. Um, And it's surprising without the context of Black Panther and what his character arc is going to be, that he's sort of operating on his own. He doesn't want to team up with the Avengers. He doesn't want to sign the Accords. He's just completely off doing his own thing. But they do establish that he has an opposing view from his father, and that is going to play into how he rules as king eventually. Um, But it's just so interesting to see that planted now and how it is almost parallel to Tony and Cap's story, but 
he's completely he's got a completely different motivation. Yeah. On the contrary, I feel like his motivation is the same <laughs> because even though we we haven't even at this point we haven't met anyone in Wakanda, you know, and so he outside of T'Challa, Chachaka, and um, Ayo, right? Because right. Ayo is there yeah. with him, and so I feel like it's all. I feel like he does have the same motivation because he's the only representative from Wakanda, and I feel like him avenging his father is really him fighting for Wakanda, because right. them killing his father. You know, his who the person killing because I even go back to, um, I think it was Wakabi or was it um, Mbaku in in Black Panther said, or what kind of I think it was in Black Panther. He, you know, he was saying, um, you can even protect your own father, you know, when when you was in the first one, yeah, it was in the first one. And so, I think, you know, he's thinking of his family, he's thinking of Wakanda, like my father being murdered, is you taking something from my family. Not only, not only, you know, that, and that's a, a part of us, like, you know, we came here from Wakanda and you're t- you've taken a part of our family away. So I feel like his motivation is family. It is, it is avenging, but, and it, it is anger, but I think the underlining factor is, and I think it would have been anyone from Wakanda because Wakanda is family. So whether it was Ayo or whether it was, you know, anyone that wasn't his father, he would have had the same tenacity because we are, this is my family. So I feel like it kind of was the same motivation. Deep underneath, it was the same motivation. No, that's true. You you are totally right. I guess it's just, I'm surprised that his way of honoring his father was to not sign the accords. But I do love that for the rest of this film, he is going to operate on his own. Mm-hmm. And you almost, you almost don't know if you can trust him or not just yet. Yeah. Cause I, f- I also feel like he's, he's also, because he's newly introduced, he's still in the same vein of like Wanda and also, um, you know, um, Falcon, like, he's not a developed character. Right. He's not an A character. He's almost like a B character. So it's it kind of plays to Wanda's inability to control her power. So he's kind of, like, seen in the same light. Like, he's unable to control his anger. You know what I mean? So I think it's it's also a play between them, where it's like, see, they can't control. But again, he had diplomatic immunity, because when he took off his mask, they said, "Right, T'Challa." Or you know, I don't know if they call him king or prince at that point, but they still, you know, respected him. But again, if you're gonna, if you're going to, if we're gonna talk about how Wanda was unable to control her powers, we have to say the same thing for him. He's he was not able to control his anger. Right. I think they referred to him as your highness, I yes. think was what they said. Yes. Um, but but it's I was going to bring that up in a few minutes. Um, it when the one thing that he has that kind of like mucks up the situation a little bit is that. 
Wakanda has signed the Sokovia Accords, right? They were right. there for the ratification. So now he's doing the exact thing that he signed the document. Now, he's not an Avenger, but right. not yet, at least. Um, mm. But he's basically he's doing the exact thing that, you know, moments earlier he had just signed into effect saying that they were going to prevent from happening. But you're right. He's got that diplomatic immunity. So it, it makes for a really interesting scenario when you look at him versus Tony versus Steve. Right. And he is almost uh, I mean, I think it's fair to say that he is an antagonist to Cap because he is after Bucky. Yeah. You know, he believes that Bucky bombed the building. We all do at this point. Um, so that's who he's after. And that's who Cap is trying to save. Right. So Steve finds Bucky, who tells him that the authorities are coming and asks him why he pulled him from the river in the last film. The pair fight the authorities off and escape from Bucky's apartment. Bucky is confronted by the Black Panther and the trio uh, try to outrun themselves and each other before the police arrive and they apprehend the trio uh, along with Rhodey. And that's where we get the reveal that uh, T'Challa is the um, the Black Panther. Uh, I need a bit of a uh, a refresh on this, admittedly, just because, and I, I, I said this in the last couple of films that we've talked about, and I've talked about it earlier, so much happens in the MCU that after a while, all of these movies are kind of starting to melt together for me. Especially because you and I have tried to rewatch as many as we could leading up to this discussion. <laughs> and yeah, I, I kind of have like Marvel pudding for a brain right now. And I, I can't, admittedly, I just cannot recall. T'Challa became Black Panther after T'Chaka passed away, correct? He, he did not become the Black Panther before correct am i and maybe it's only because we've seen the black panther come and go i mean what three times in 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 the two films it, it came and went it uh, was was he, he king once i think he was already the black panther because yes he already had the suit right 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 he was already the black panther in civil war he just wasn't king Right, right. Because the suit is a given, but when we come in for Black Panther, it's the challenge ceremony. So I think to that's be what king, you're not thinking. Not to become of. the Black Panther. That's right. what it was. And he, get, you're thinking of because he gets stripped of the Black Panther powers. Yeah, yes. That's what we see. Yes. Yeah. That's that's was, what it was. Yeah. yeah. So he was already the Black Panther. He just wasn't king. Right. right. Because I I just started thinking like wait a minute are we playing is this is this like a flaw did we play with the timeline too much but mm -hmm. no you're right that's what no, it there is there are no flaws they, yeah not in they, Marvel they he he lost the ability he gave up the ability to be the Black Panther during the challenge ceremony that's where it okay. correct yeah all right yeah. so we had to talk through that because that was that was really my only question otherwise yeah. the, the battle is great um, mm -hmm. the reveal I mean the reveal and. Like, you know it's him, but it doesn't make the reveal any less shocking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we know, and that's the other part that I love is that we know it's him, but nobody else knows that it's him. Like, everybody's like, who is this cat? Like, where did this cat come from? Like, oh, there's someone in a cat suit now? Like, who is this? I love the chase, too. I love that 
Bucky is chase or I'm sorry, Cap is chasing Bucky and Black Panther is chasing Cap. There's that one like long shot that they do through the tunnel of just the three of them and they're all running, you know, and they're spaced out. But it's just a great it almost feels like a classic Disney animation, like one of those snatch and grab kind of chases the way that mm-hmm. they're going after each other like this. Well, it was, I, I love the foot, the footwork. It yeah. was red. It yeah. was so it's also so interesting to see Ross and T'Challa meet under these circumstances when he's bringing him in, yet giving him special treatment. Um, when you consider what Ross is eventually going to do for Wakanda. And I, I think that's what they are sort of setting up here is that respect and why he eventually Ross is going to want to avenge him. Absolutely. So back at headquarters, Vision lifts Wanda's spirits by making her a meal. So they're already starting to plant that little romance. Uh, In Berlin, Steve, Sam, Bucky, and T'Challa are to be psychologically evaluated. However, Bucky's punishment is to be far worse. Tony begs Steve to sign the accord and make things right, but Steve refuses to sign it. Zemo disguises himself as a psychologist and uses the words from the book, to brainwash Bucky again. He knocks the power out in Berlin and unleashes the Winter Soldier. While fighting him, T'Challa sees his arm is made from vibranium. Steve stops Bucky from escaping, but rescues him rather than turning him in, and we learn that um, he is not the only Winter Soldier, that there are more of them uh, that have been genetically engineered. So yeah, we get we get the early WandaVision plant. And, and, and they're starting to build on this idea. Um, it, I'm not going to say it again. You, you know what I'm about to say. It's the, the, the plants and the payoffs. The, to me, this is where Marvel truly is at its best. What I had never really considered either, um, you know, obviously, yes, they are planting that future romance, but there is such a connection between the two of them from the jump because I had forgotten that they're both born of Loki's scepter. And it wasn't until I rewatched Age of Ultron where I went, huh. Because you see in the end credits of Winter Soldier, I believe, Pietro and Wanda with their powers. And it's because Hydra has his scepter at that point. And then once they bust it open, that's where we get the Mind Stone for Vision. So I think that that's why there is this connection and they're already drawn to each other. It's not necessarily a romance yet. It's just because they're they're born of the same thing. I, I love that. And it's 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 almost something a little incestual about it. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I didn't want to say When you really it. think about it, yeah. Because Pietro's not there anymore, and so now she has this connection with this other person who, again, they're both dehumanized because, like, he's not a human. Right. You know what I mean? And she is, but she's not being treated as a human also because she's not American. And so she's being dehumanized, one, because she's not American, and then two, because she, um, she has these, these powers that kind of, you know, make her inhuman. And so um, I feel like that's another way for them that, they, you know, they just connected on so many levels. But to your point as well, Sean, I love this. Again, this is what I loved that I didn't realize that I love so much about what Marvel has been was that all of the thought 
that they put into, um, you know, films like this, knowing what the future of the MCU was going to be. Um, maybe not even knowing that they would have been a WandaVision series at this point. I don't know. But just the Easter eggs and the little plants that they planted, seeds that they planted um, to continue the story. I would so. give anything to see their story cards laid out. Yeah. <laughs> and see how much foresight there was. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I think one of my favorite things about this scene is the look that you, I mean, I believe he's wearing the mask. So you can only imagine what the look is on T'Challa's face when he realizes that Bucky's arm is made out of vibranium because the only place you can get vibranium is Wakanda. So right. like that, that little, and it, it's a split second reaction. Mm -hmm. It carries so much weight, especially once we learn what Bucky's, in you know eventual connection is to the wakandans as well honestly i completely missed that i was thinking more in terms of um that sound uh, you know it's like when thor's hammer hits the shield that vibranium on vibranium when the arm hits the cap shield i completely missed that little moment i missed that too and i think you know thinking about it what makes it so powerful is you know, him, re again, vibranium for him represents home, represents his family. It represents Wakanda. So for him to see that and think, wait a minute, this is home. Like home, something from home killed my father. This also reinforces why they don't want vibranium out of Wakanda. Right. Because, you know, so that also reinforces in his mind why we want to protect Wakanda and its natural resources for this reason, because now it has been used as a weapon and is being used as a weapon against us. Again, when I say us, I mean Wakanda's because it killed his father and is trying to, you know, now he's battling it, you know. Right. And, and, and where does that pay off again? In the episode you joined us on to discuss Wakanda <laughs> yes. Forever, they came out years later, no missed opportunities. No, no missed none. Opportunities. None. My only question that I bump on a little bit, um, what do we think about the reveal that there are more Winter Soldiers now? Um, just the timing, because for me, I'm kind of surprised that we didn't learn this a little bit earlier. And I, I mean earl as early as Captain America Winter Soldier. So I'm okay that we didn't um, learn about it earlier because then it makes Bucky, um, it, it, it kind of takes the spotlight off of him. You know what I mean? I, I feel yeah. like it, because now it's like, all right, well, there's him, but where are the others? And if you don't see the rest of them, I think that it there's kind of a missed opportunity there for a payoff. You just assume you're going to see them in the sequel. Um, but I think it waters him down because it's like, well, he's one of how many? Um, my big thing is that they introduce the idea that there's multiple Winter Soldiers, which within itself is menacing and scary. So we immediately think the, the where they planted it is very well done because it throws us off because we immediately just think that, well, it was another Winter Soldier. And are they all genetically mutated to look like Bucky? Like, is this even right. the real Bucky? It's the scroll thing again. Like, is this even that person? You know, who is this right now? Um, 
So I... I think that it was great to see it without jumping or to hear it, I should say, um, without meaning to jump too far ahead. Does it pay off at the end? Not really. Um, I think there was an opportunity there to really unleash a little bit more mayhem um, and maybe give Bucky more of a purpose um, other than uh, just because, I mean, Steve kind of just drags Bucky along through the movie. That's the thing, right? Like you... literally by the helicopter. Cause yeah. we had to get the money shot of Chris Evans bicep. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm fine with it. I just wish that they may have played with that idea a little bit more because it comes to kind of like a very, it, it comes to a very abrupt finish. I guess that's why I pose the question, because in my mind, had they brought it up earlier, you would have had this idea of like another Hydra-esque big bad out there. And I thought that they were going to toy with that a lot more. And I feel like it does sort of fall a little flat. I'm surprised they didn't really lean into it, take it and run with it. I think that might be one of the, um, the only things with this movie that like I feel may have fallen flat, but then I also get why they didn't take it any further. Like what actually, cause I can't remember what actually ever happened to them. Cause I feel like somewhere I saw multiple winter soldiers, like were they fighting or did they, did I see that or was that in my head? What you saw was a flashback to a training montage to jump to the end of the movie, just so that we can answer it now, you never see them come out of the ice. They're all frozen, and Zemo kills all of them. So right. you never. So that's the thing. It you never see them come out of the ice. And I'm thinking the whole time, like, okay, they're gonna come out. We're gonna see Bucky is gonna have to battle the other Winter Soldiers. But instead, exactly. Zemo just puts a bullet in each of their heads while it, they're like asleep in these tanks, which. I was going to bring up this point later, but I feel like it's a good point to mention it now. It, it's very confusing because the scene, it's, it's let in by Zemo goes and gets this file or whatever from the same warehouse that they're stored in, I yeah. guess. And I guess that's what tells him how to go about killing them. But it's so confusing. And then by the time it's revealed that they're gone... I'm like, wait a minute, did Cap and Bucky get to them first and disable them? Like, did they pull the plugs on these tanks? Is that how they die? It is very confusing until Zemo says it to Cap, don't worry, they died peacefully. Yeah. Um, I feel like that is one of very few weak points in this movie where that gets kind of lost and muddled a bit. It's, yeah. it, at that point, it's like, well, what's the point? Mm -hmm. Right. What was the point of, of introducing this idea if we never actually see it other than a flashback? It doesn't do anything really to serve the movie. I mean, Zemo ultimately, you know, he's he's trying to kill the Winter Soldier, but he's trying. Well, he's trying to get the Avengers to turn against each other is his ultimate end game. So why why he why this was even introduced? I guess they I guess if it's in the source material, they didn't want to ignore it. But they didn't do anything with it either. And and I think also, be you know, I don't know if with Zemo killing them, it, it put him in some weird way in a position of power. It was like, I already killed five others. You know, I can, you know, like, yeah. I don't know. That's the only 
that is the only resolve that I can come to to make sense of it even being in the movie because outside of that, I mean, it's, it's just something to add to the plot. But I guess him killing them, you know, he's now like, I can kill a Winter Soldier. I killed five, I can kill another one, you know, or I don't know. That's the only resolve I can come to. Yeah, I think to your point, it would have been more effective had they utilized them with the facial, um, the face morph thing. And yeah. instead of Zemo being the one to set the bomb off with Bucky's face on him, if he had been using them as his henchmen right. and maybe they, you know, kind of had a little bit more chaos, a couple more instances that the Avengers are being blamed for, but it's really been them the whole time and he's been controlling them. Right. And instead, like I said, we, we instead get five minutes of this retread scene where Captain America pulls the helicopter back and then they crash into the water and it feels like a total retread of the end of Winter Soldier when, uh, or yeah, when Bucky pulls him out. And now he pulls Bucky out. Right, because now Zemo has the book, so he could have, we could have seen him get the book earlier and he could have been like using them as his test subjects to see if he can pull it off. And when he can, then to your point, he uses them. He does the face recognition thing. Okay, you're going to look like Bucky. You're going to set off the bomb at the, you know, in Vienna. And you're going to do this and you're going to do this. You're going to kill the interrogator. Yes. So that he can step in and impersonate him the, and get have... into the, um, I think it's the the government facility. Yeah, there's a hundred different ways that they could have played it. Um, but they opted not to. But... Anyway, moving on, Tony, trying to protect Steve, tells Ross that he can bring them back within 36 hours. So he and Natasha set off to set up their own team, starting with Peter Parker, who has gained notoriety um, as being the Spider-Man, as Tony has hacked into New York City cameras and he sees Peter showing off his skill set. Tony tells him that he's going to upgrade his suit and take him to Germany. What a great introduction for Tom Holland as Spider-Man. The dynamic is there between Tony and Peter from the start. Um, I, I absolutely love everything about this. Like, I I wish that we could have just, like... There are days I just want to go and just rewatch this scene on loop. That's how good the scene is between the two of them. I also love the introduction of Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. Um She's great casting. I love that they're so self-aware that, you know, she even says to Tony, ants come in all shapes and sizes because she's gorgeous. She's always going to be gorgeous. She's ageless. She's stunning. And I love that they went with a different choice instead of making, you know, Aunt May, as we've seen her, is this, you know, older woman and she's portrayed as a weak character. I like that they did the opposite they made her much stronger but they also called attention to it and poked fun of the casting in a way and i love that she's in on the joke yeah no i mean i agree 100 percent with both of you i think um it was a great dynamic between the two and also having her um marissa tomei having her in the center of that kind of balanced them out you know what i mean because like i feel like tony was you know captivated by by her beauty you know um and respected her and then also um you know um spider-man like 
he's captivated because this is somebody that this is his aunt like this is the person that has raised him and so she had almost like this invisible wonder woman lasso you know over both of them you yeah. know to like silently for you know these are two superheroes that she kind of has the ability to like control in different ways you know so it really showed her superpower and so i really thought it was a really dope really dope scene and i i i, I agree with you i like that they got somebody age appropriate because we've always seen uncle ben and aunt may is like people in their 70s peter parker's 16 years old like <laughs> most of our aunts and uncles when we were 16 were like maybe 50 you know unless you were the youngest of uh, of a family that had like a big age gap like if your oldest sibling was 30 when you were 16 okay then i get it yeah but that's not the case with peter parker so i'm glad that we got an age appropriate actress to be aunt may yeah i mean i think casting you know an older aunt may and uncle ben it's definitely supposed to tug at your heartstrings a little bit more because nobody wants to see that happen to uncle ben but um I like that they just kind of turned everything that we know on its head. And I love this conversation between uh, Tony and Peter. Um, when he asks what his motivation is, Peter says, if you, can't st if you can stop the bad guys, but you don't, that makes you, you know, almost just as bad. And I'm wondering if this is sort of what flips Tony's mentality because he does sort of start straddling both sides now and and he's starting to turn towards Team Cap at this point. Yeah. I mean, and even questioning, well, who who are the bad guys? You know, I think that was a seed of of um seed of doubt in a way that was kind of planted to like, well, who are the bad guys? You know what I mean? Um, that was planted. And I think again, um, I also like the the dichotomy of the gener like just two different generations. Yeah. Um, both superheroes, but from two generations, you know, even when they were in the middle of the battle, you know, Spider-Man was like, remember that old movie? Um, <laughs> you know, and so I think it's just, again, fresh. And he is also, at this point, in the same boat with, like, Wanda and T'Challa, because, like, they're, they're, they're bees, you know, they're coming on as bee characters. And so um, just to see... And I think they're all young, like T'Challa, not as young as they are, but it just brings a freshness to the cast. It brings a freshness to the movie that Absolutely. I love, you know, a different energy. Yeah. So Clint arrives at headquarters and takes Wanda to help Steve, uh, much to Vision's disapproval, but Wanda fights him off and they leave together. Sharon gives Steve, Bucky, and Sam their armor back and she kisses Steve goodbye. Clint reveals that he also grabbed Scott Lang to help join their team. Um, I love the tease for Infinity War that happens mm -hmm. in that scene where they break away from Vision. Like, just everything that they did here just makes so much sense. But but this is one of those things that even to me made sense at the time. Like before we knew everything that was going to happen, especially with Vision and Wanda, like it just made sense that they planted it here. I yeah. love that Hawkeye comes out of retirement for this. Um, and now he's going to be forced to sign the Accords or not because he is rejoining them. But I love also that he does sort of have 
no matter what side he's going to be on, he does have a loyalty to Wanda because of what happened with her brother. He is sort of responsible for Pietro's death. So regardless of whether he agrees with Tony or whether he agrees with Steve, he's going to go help her out and bust her out of house arrest, so to speak. Yeah. So, um, Sean, you mentioned um, Infinity War. What I also realized, which was crazy, is that if you kind of go back to the scene where um, they were all in the in the office, where um, I can't remember it was it was before the fight, um, but when it was in the office, it was Rhodey, and it was um, Cap, and it was Steve, and it was. Um, uh, Black Widow, when they were all in that in that room yeah. with the table. When they get the initial document. Exactly. You see the people who snapped on one side and the people who didn't snap on the other side. Stop it. Yes. And then you also see um, off in the corner, you see um, Iron Man, right? He's off in the corner, but the table, you have the table. Oh, and the- my God. People that snap on one side, the people that didn't snap on the other side, and then you have, you know, um, Iron Man off in the corner because he was, you know, off on the other in a, in a different place. But I thought, like, all I don't know if that was intentional or not, but the fact that we can go back and we can see, like, wow, all these people on this side snapped and these people didn't. It's amazing how they use those things as a means of foreshadowing. Um, before we even knew that that was going to happen. And so I just wanted to bring that point up. I think that was really dope since you mentioned, um, you know, Infinity War. You just blew my freaking mind right now. Um, I'd be willing to bet that it was intentional because I feel like if they had put them on opposite sides of the table as far as Team Tony, Team Cap, that would have been far too on the nose. Exactly. Um, Yeah, I, I feel like that is the level of attention to detail that you do get with Marvel. Yeah, if you go back and watch, we're like, oh shoot, that's it's really a thing. I have chills. That's that is creepy. I love when Steve's team comes together, and Mm -hmm. Clint opens the back of that van, and out comes Scott Lang. Thanks for (laughs) thanking of me. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I Paul Rudd is just gold all of the time. I want to know how much. They let him ad lib. I would imagine that the line when he looks at Wanda and goes, I know you two, you're great. I, that had to be fake. He, he had to just put that in. There's no, I mean, if they wrote it in, that's like, that's writing to your talent. Yeah. I would imagine they had to just let him have a little bit of free reign. I don't think that you can write poor. I think this is what you know that you're getting when you cast him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for thanking of me. I love it. I love it. And then you think of, of again, you think of Scott and you think of him getting out of Van. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like Scott in Vans. Like, and this is what happened. This is the whole thing that happened in Endgame. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's just like, just how they, you know, I miss this, this part of Marvel where things were intentional um, and if things weren't intentional, they were just so good at building these stories that they were able to go back and use some of this stuff for the future, you know? But, and again, and so I, I'm team cap. So I loved 
to see Team Cap come together as well. Like, I'm Team Cap all day. All day. I was always Team Tony just because I was such a fan from the moment he put the suit on in in the caves. Yeah. Um, but the more I rewatch this, the more I flip to Team Cap. Um, and I, I love how I think I think that's why they call it out. Scott calls it out when he shrugs it off and um, they tell him, if you join with us, you're going to be operating outside the law. And he's like, yeah, what else is new? And right. I think you do get that validation later from Tony because he does tell him you were right. I was wrong. And I, I think that that's where this movie does win me over is that they're doing what's wrong to do what's right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So at the airport, Tony Rhodes, T'Challa, Peter, Natasha, and Vision arrive where Steve tells them that Zemo is the bomber, not Bucky, but Tony calls Steve out for having clouded judgment. Tony's team begins to fight Steve's as all they want is to bring Bucky in and prevent the Avengers from being broken up. Um, it's the first time we see Peter Parker as Spider-Man. It's, it's a great introduction. I love the... Oh, it's getting used to the new suit. But uh, no, I love the suit, Mr. Stark, Mr. Stark, Mr. Stark. When you, the, the, the first Mr. Stark, Mr. Stark that you get here, it, it, it's just, it's fantastic. I, I, love, I love that as his introduction because we've seen Peter. This is the introduction to Spider-Man. And um, I liked Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man a lot. Andrew Garfield's was way too mean-spirited for me, frankly. Um, I didn't believe that that's how Peter Parker would conduct himself. Um, but now that we have the multiverse, you know, anything's possible. Uh, th this, to me, is the best iteration of a teenage, socially awkward Spider-Man. And they did a really good job balancing out that type of humor against Ant-Man's quips, too. Because you do sort of get that, like that awkward Paul Rudd humor but you manage to blend both of them without it seem without it feeling like it's too much of the same thing. Yeah. Before they get to the actual fighting, I love that Tony does try to do the right thing one more time and really gives them one more chance to try and keep the team together, keep the team strong because you needed to build the tension to make this fight believable instead of feeling like a giant Marvel flex, because that's kind of what it is, right? I mean, you've got all of these powers coming together. We're seeing everybody pulling out all of the stops and using their best tricks against each other. And I do love that you get the little moments in between while they're fighting where um, Clint asks Nat if they're still going to be friends after this. and uh, Or no, she asks him, and he says, it depends on how hard you hit me. And then Wanda comes in, and she's like, you're pulling punches. Screw this. And she you know, casts a pretty hard blow to Nat. Um, and then, you know, in the midst of all this too, you get that little Brooklyn Queens beat between Cap and Peter. And it it's great. It really is a well-balanced scene. Um, and just when you think, you know, maybe they are going to call a stalemate, maybe they're going to, because I don't think anybody was ever really, really going to hurt each other they did take it one step too far. And unfortunately, Rhodey is the one to take the devastating blow. And I hate that because he's such a beloved character, but that's why they pick him, right? Because he's probably the most innocent in all of this. And he's been the most neutral the entire time, even though he has signed the accord or he is on the side of the accords. Um, you just don't want to see him 
be taken out like this. Um, so it hurts. It hurts the audience um, as, as good as it is for the film. Yeah. It, one of my favorite scenes ever in the, uh, the whole MCU um, was this airport um, fight. And what it did is that it gave us, the, it introduced a lot of new characters and their powers, their abilities. And it also gave us, um, you know, Wanda using her powers the right way. You know what I mean? Like not flubbing things up. Um, you know, it allowed Ant-Man to shine. It gave Spider-Man his big break. Um, but again, it also allowed us to see, you know, um, Black Widow and Hawkeye fight, you know, um, Captain, it just gave us so much. And again, to your, to your point, Jackie, they weren't fighting to hurt one another. So they were bringing the best of what they had, but it wasn't to hurt one another. It was really like them fighting for a cause. It's like a family feud, yeah. you know, a family feud and everyone is kind of like going at one another, but it's like no one has the intentions of actually hurting anyone. And so it actually did show us that they have the ability to control their powers. Right. You know, like everything that they were saying that they couldn't do, you know, these people don't have control over their powers. They don't, you know, they're, but they actually sh proven that they can. They can be in combat and not actually hurt. They can fight for a cause and not actually have casualties. You know, and yeah. so for us that they have the ability to do it, you know, um, and again, no one is no one is wrong. Everyone is fighting for what they believe. Um, and so, yeah, but it's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite scenes because you have action, you have fighting, you have um, banter, you have comedy, you know, you have all of the elements you have you know, big people, little people, people shrinking, even though Ant-Man went into Iron Man's suit, um, he didn't, he wasn't trying to kill him. Right. And if you notice after Ant-Man got into Iron Man's suit, all of the suits after that were like nano and they were like seamless. Yes. Couldn't get into, so it's just so many, so many things, even with Rhodey, I believe that he was the, the innocent one and he had to be the sacrificial lamb. Right. You know, but also it was setting him up to be a scroll eventually. Cause you would never expect, you know, like now in Secret Invasion, he's he's the one, the only a Avenger that we've seen that in, you know, in Secret Invasion, and now he's a scroll. Right. You know what I mean? And so I feel like again, them just being able to set up the future in ways that I don't know if they even realized it. I think was so good, but this is one of my favorite scenes in the MCU. And they set up the relationship with Bucky and Sam, which obviously is going to pay off with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yes. Um, so I think that that was a really great play because it, it but they, they do it the right way because they do it through comedy. They're right. very funny. The, the scene sitting in the car, can you move your seat up? No. Uh, <laughs> when they're, when they're both knocked down after Peter gets a hold of him, and he and Sam just says to Bucky, "I hate you." Like, it's like everything <laughs> yeah. about it is so well done, and I love that we watch what their friendship and what their relationship later becomes, and it gets me very excited for once things are rolling again and back in production. It makes me very excited to see Anthony Mackie as Captain America because um, yeah. I love him as the Falcon. I am so excited to see him in the role as Cap uh, of Captain America. Yeah. I, I want to see him take the shield, take that 
take that role and make it his own. And I think he's going to be really good. And I'm really excited to see how they can continue to build on what they started here. Because I think that the two of them together are spectacular. Yeah. The, the two of them, it's very similar to Paul Bettany, how everybody says he hit the jackpot as far as casting when you started out doing a voiceover for Jarvis. And now you become Vision and like look at what that has brought you. And... It's very similar with Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan with, you know, they were certainly not B characters like they were they were leads in the Captain America franchise. But like they've just gotten to take it and run with it. I mean, I don't know if that was what they signed the contract for, if they knew going in that this is what they were signing up for. But it's just been amazing how they've been able to grow these characters and continue. And this is one of those things where people talk about having a little bit of Marvel burnout. I don't think that's the case here because their stories keep us wanting more in this case. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like this scene also something that's so important. And just like you were saying, um, Sean, it's just the relationships that were built. It's almost like, um, <laughs> it's almost like, I feel like sperm needing the eggs in so many different on so many different levels because it's like um you know you of course you have black widow and hawkeye their relationship then you have you have um iron man and captain america their relationship but then you have iron man and spider-man their relationship then you have wanda and vision then you have iron man and um war machine then you have you know just like all of the the, the relationships and then also I see it generationally as well. Yeah. Because some of these people, though everyone survives this fight, everyone doesn't survive the future fights. And so now the torch is being passed to another generation of, you know, because we don't have Iron Man anymore. We don't have um Black Widow anymore. You know, um and so now it's being passed to a new generation. And so I think, you know, when X-Men in the cartoon, how X-Men would have these like fights in the, in the in that chamber, but it was like to test their strength and their endurance and things like that. I feel like that's kind of like what this is, you yeah. know, who better to go up than who better to go up against than the current generation um, in order to prove that you're worthy to pass to be the torch to be passed to you, you know? And so there's so many things happening here that um that are really setting up the next generation of leaders of Avengers. Obviously we see it, you know, what, what things are now, but like um, you know, um Captain America and the new Captain America, you know what I mean? So just all of these, you know, things. I just think it's genius. And this was one of the again, I say it, this was one of, if not my favorite um moment in the MCU. I have to go back and watch it now through the lens of who gets snapped because I'm wondering if that lends into who has the upper hand in the fight because we were never we were talking about how their intent is never really to actually hurt one another but mm -hmm. I'm wondering if they did lean into that idea of like the stronger surviving even though the snap is supposed to be randomized but I do want to rewatch it with you know who is able to hit Thanos head on versus mm -hmm. you know who, who might have been off fighting someone else and not taking on Thanos. That would be really interesting to take another look at it that way. I love that. Um, to Ricardo's point about the relationships, too, another one that sort of 
um, is a big through line through this fight is Nat and Steve because she goes to Peggy's funeral because she didn't want him to be alone. There was the illusion to them kind of being flirty, which goes out the window in Ultron because then she's with Banner. Um, but they always have had a very solid relationship. And at the end of the fight, or what does sort of contribute to the fight ending besides Rhodey, is that she flips sides and she lets them get out. Um, because she's been with Cap the entire time. So it was surprising to see her side with Tony. Um, but now it's like, did she have a light bulb go on? Or is it what Tony eventually calls her out for? Is, is this your double agent coming through? Mm, I think it's... Again, I think it's that female energy. Yeah. You know, I think her, I, you know, she, the whole time in this movie, I feel like she played the line. Um, it's almost like she's like the mom in the in the whole scenario. And she really was the one to, to bring the balance. I right. feel like she was the balance in the whole movie. Um, just understanding both perspectives and being a double agent. You know, but using that and flipping it, because um, she she even was trying to keep the family together. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like the sister being in, in, in between the two brothers. It's like, I love both of you, and I'll stand on your side when necessary. But at the end of the day, the goal is to really keep the family together. And I think she understood that when it was time to play what side. Mm-hmm. and this moment, I, I know she realized that this was necessary. You know what I mean? At this moment, I have to do this because I th- this is necessary. Right. And so it takes a lot to be that in the midst of all this chaos, the power of a woman, to be still be balanced and clear in, in, your, in your mind to realize when do you switch, when nobody else can. yeah so following the fight zemo quote-unquote kills himself in his hotel room and is found by room service bucky questions if he is worth all of the trouble and steve assures him that he is tony confronts natasha in regards to letting steve escape the fight tells her that rhodes is paralyzed and tells her that the authorities are now after her Tony learns that Zemo killed the real doctor sent to treat Bucky and left him in the hotel room um, and that they also used that facial recognition that we talked about earlier to portray Bucky. Realizing he was wrong, he gets this info to Ross. He makes sure that Ross knows what's going on. Um, These are a lot of scenes that I kind of wrap up quick because... That's kind of what the pacing of the film is. Like, a lot starts to happen here, and they start to move through it quickly, but all of it works. Like, it doesn't doesn't seem like they're rushing anything. I I feel like the pacing here is actually quite good because they're feeding you everything that you need to know. They're getting in and out of it quickly because, obviously, this movie does have a a two-and-a-half-hour runtime. So they're trying not to make it into the Snyder Cut. It's not going to be a three-hour movie, but they, they do it in a very, very good way. And... To the point where, like, you just feel really bad for Tony here because Tony the whole time is trying to put his trust into the right people. He's very conflicted mentally because of everything we talked about earlier. Um, And you really feel for him here because Tony always thinks that he's in control and very rarely is. But this is one of the instances where his actions truly do blow up in his face. And you also hurt his roadie. 
He says it. Put my roadie down. Um, so I think that's where, yeah, he's starting to make that turn because the he realizes that the fighting is never going to to help anyone and he he does have to keep the team strong and that might mean putting his own ego aside and switching to team cap um i'm going to respectfully disagree with you on the pacing though because i feel like this is where things start to get a little confusing i believe there is a deleted scene where Zemo goes to pick up the doctor at the train station. And I wish, I mean, I understand you have to cut things like that out for running time, but I wish they had left it in because faking his own death and killing the doctor who's supposed to help Bucky, to me, that never reads. No matter how many times I watch it, I I keep forgetting who's in the bathtub and I feel like the reveal is not as obvious and it doesn't come together for me until much later on when I'm like, Oh, that's right. He had, he had to find a way in to get his FaceTime with Bucky and bust him out. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's the only thing that gets a little bit confusing. No, I agree on that part. Like it would, for me, I was just like, wait, what? Oh yeah. Cause it was, didn't, didn't we see that at some point or, like it was a deleted scene so we probably didn't see it but maybe i made that up in my head like i can't i can't remember the train station i believe is a deleted scene but the next thing we know is that scene where there's a body in the bathtub and the room service is trying to get into the room and he's like no no no, don't worry about it don't worry about it Mm -hmm. and um you see that he's, you know, he's up to no good in his hotel room. But I also didn't realize that that was supposed to be Zemo faking his own death as well. Yeah, I, I just re- knew he killed somebody. And then, like, it doesn't click until later on. It's like, oh, that's how he gets in to get the face-to-face with Bucky. I got lost in that whole little part. Because <laughs> <laughs> anytime a movie gets into, like, like a slow, like, after action or, like, I... I get, I get, I, my attention span just goes a little bit. So I got, yeah, but I, I was lost enough. Right, because oh. usually they'll follow big action with a little bit of comedy, a little bit of levity, and they don't. It's just like the fight happens, you get the Tony beat with Natasha for, and, and he calls her the double agent. So it's just like heavy on heavy on heavy. And you're right, it, it it's a bit of a pace killer. Like I get to your point, that's why they're trying to move through it quickly. But something is getting a little lost there. With the rest of his team in prison, Steve and Bucky head to a Siberian Hydra base where they are met by Tony, who confirms their theory. Zemo is also at the base along with the other Winter Soldiers. Um, I'm going to stop there because basically from there on out, I kind of just give you the rest of the film. So I I do want to just take a break right there to talk about this. Um, The raft prison scene. Oh, so good. So good. Um, the way that they who are in prison are adverse to Tony, the fact that Tony is still going to knock out the cameras. Ultimately, he's still an Avenger. I mean, that's his thing. He's, he doesn't want the band broken up. He knows that he's wrong. He's trying to do what he can do to right the wrong and get their trust back. Um, it's a spectacular scene. Especially because Wanda is the first one we see in the prison cell. And to in, in Cap's words, she's just a kid. Um, you know, we're used to the idea of Scarlet Witch now, and she's a mother, and she's looking out for her children. But 
She just lost her brother. She's put her trust in these people. She's been under house arrest. And now we see her just crumpled up in a heap in the jail cell. And she doesn't even have, I mean, I think we see her in the security camera, but I don't think she was even present for that scene because she doesn't have any speaking lines, which is fine because she doesn't need to. She's sort of defeated at this point. Instead, you get Hawkeye and Ant-Man and the Falcon mouthing off to Tony because he put them in this position. Yeah, and, you know, it's um, it's unfortunate because I don't ever want to see my heroes locked up. Yes. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, going back to the whole idea of, of family, just, you know, feeling like you failed, like, it, it never feels good when you feel like you failed your family and they're in a, in a, in a bad or uncomfortable position because of your decisions mm-hmm. or because they were following you. So I could only imagine um, how he felt, you know, and what he felt that he needed to do to make things right. And so at that point, you know, when you're when you're making decisions to, to try to right your wrongs, you know what I mean? It's just like on another level. It is know? very jarring to see them like that. Like as a fan, it's the last thing you want to see. It hits so much different, like, we, we've seen Loki in this sort of position before when Thor goes to visit him, but it doesn't hit that same way. Like, Loki's actually done things to deserve that as much as you want to root for him. Um, this is just very... It, it cuts deep, and it's supposed to. Like, it's a very striking visual. And as far as that goes, like, the cinematography and just the, the tension in this scene, it is so well done. They, they literally... They literally have accomplished like the whole the breakdown of the Avengers. Yeah. Like that was that and I think that was the point of this you know movie was to kind of break them down emotionally, physically, like, you know, break them down so they can be vulnerable for, you know, losing it's like a foreshadowing of what's gonna happen in um, you know, Infinity War. It also does pave the way for this to come down to Tony and Cap, because I think to do another major battle at the end, it's going to water down the first one and how awesome that scene is to see everybody up against each other like that. But I feel like it would be too much of the same thing. So you sort of have to take them all out of the equation and leave it to Tony and Cap, especially because now it's going to go beyond the Sokovia Accords. It's going to get very deeply personal. Yeah. And then lastly, it's going to, I feel like it's setting up for, because it's almost like Tony kind of lost here. And Mm. so his, his redemption is to sacrifice himself. Yeah. You know, he kind of sacrificed everyone else in in this scenario. And so, in the, you know, when we get to Infinity War Endgame, it's like he's now sacrificing himself as a way to redeem himself for what, you know, what happened here. Which is kind of what he always ends up doing. Like, that tracks. It tracks in the first Iron Man where he has to blow up the arc reactor and... He might die in the process. It tracks with getting the explosive back into space at the end of Avengers. I mean, like, it always comes down to Tony. And obviously, you know, need I say, endgame. Yeah. 
So we see that Zemo has killed the other Winter Soldiers and used all of this as a means to draw in uh, Stark and Captain America and the Winter Soldier, as well as T'Challa, who has followed Tony to the base. Zemo tells Steve that he is fulfilling a promise to avenge all of those that were lost in Sokovia. He shows the videotape of Bucky's extraction of Super Soldier Serum in 1991, and it shows that he killed Tony's parents. When Tony asks Steve if he knew, he confirms that he did, so the three begin to fight again. You know what? I'm actually going to take a break there because okay. <laughs> uh, I could go through to the end because even this kind of seems a little rushed at the end. Like, again, a lot happening. But I do want to I want to take a pause here because that video, the video of seeing Tony's parents killed and the fact that the cap knew because remember, this goes back to what we said before. Tony is always going to be a civilian. And Steve is always going to be military. He's always going to be government. The closest thing that Tony ever came to government was he sold him their weapons. So the fact that the fact that Steve knew the entire time that it was physically it's Bucky, mentally it's not Bucky. This is all accurate. But the fact that he knew and he was just going to keep this from Tony. And when you see Tony snap. That's the moment that you needed. That's the moment that vindicated why Zemo did all of this. The fact that he did this to trap them, to show them a videotape. This was absolutely brilliant. And this is where not only do you buy Zemo, but where it proves that, you know what? You didn't need some super intergalactic being to be your villain. You needed the mental. And that's the thing. Here is the mental. It's so unique and it's so different and it's so well done. I completely agree. And there is another layer to it because the reason that Tony found out where Cap was going to be, the only reason that Sam was going to give up his fellow veteran was because he tells Tony, you have to go as a friend. And he knows how badly the Cap needs help at this point. Sam and and Tony does now too. So by showing up, that is Tony's agreement is, I am here to support you you need my backup. You need all the help you can get right now. So he's made this gesture and now he finds out that the cap really didn't reciprocate his friendship by not telling him. We know that the cap's loyalty is always going to be to Bucky, but Tony put everything aside to put everything into his friendship because now he's the only one, the cap is the only one he's got. There's no pepper. There's no more Avengers. And he was willing to give it all up to help the cap, but he didn't get that same thing in return. Yeah. I, listen, I feel like this was the snap before the snap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to see, you know, the snap was literally you in the snap of a finger, you see people disappear. And literally in a snap of a finger, we saw, you know, Iron Man disappear and and Tony Stark appeared or or Tony Stark disappeared and I however way you want to put it in a snap of a finger we again that's trauma you know at the end of the day he's a human being and when it comes to trauma you know when when you don't deal with trauma you stop growing we stop growing at the age and point where trauma happens and so at that point, we saw Tony revert to 
the age he was when his parents were um, were murdered. Yeah. And it, it, you know, at, he wasn't. He, I, I can't remember if he was a teen or if he was like a young adult. He was most likely a younger younger adult. I think college. Um, college age, and so you see him snap. Like leadership went out the window. Reason went out the window. He literally looked like um, a coll- a drunk college student. You know what I mean? Like mm. if you you know he and he reverted back to that, and it's it's trauma and it shows you how how human he is, though he is known for this, these machines that he create, you know, um, it, it doesn't trump his humanity. And I think, um, I think it was just, it was almost like, it's hard to watch, but I think it's beautiful that we get to see him this way because we always see him as a snarky, you know, witty, smart, you know, this person and in this instance, all that went out the window. He wasn't being smart. He wasn't being, it was all emotion. It was all trauma. It was all raw, you know, feelings, you know? And I think it was just so important for us to see this part of him. Because again, Iron Man, you think of the Tin Man, you know what yeah. I mean? For heart, there's no emotions there. So this was a very, very, very hard moment but I feel like it was necessary for him to give us all of his humanity. It's also interesting coming off of Age of Ultron, you know, when you consider his history with Wanda, where she showed him the vision and we see Cap's shield cracked and we see Thor's hammer lying lifelessly. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Tony, that's been why he's been trying to keep the team so strong is because he doesn't believe that that was an accident. He knows that it's sort of a premonition. And we sort of do lose that thread in this film. But in the back of his mind, this is why he wants to keep the family together because he's so afraid of this happening one day. Um, So to have him really go in on Cap like this, knowing that that could all happen or is eventually going to happen, Mm. um, you're right. He's operating on raw emotion. He's not thinking about what he's doing at all. So T'Challa confronts Zemo, who tells him that they believed that they were safe in Sokovia and that his son was actually excited to see the Iron Man come to town before he was killed. Um, He knew that he couldn't kill them himself, but he figured he could get them to kill each other if he turned them on each other. Uh, T'Challa then saves Zemo from killing himself while Steve destroys the arc reactor, uh, arc reactor disabling Tony's suit. Tony tells him that he doesn't deserve the shield, which Steve leaves behind as he escapes with Bucky. Zemo is put into confinement. Tony returns to the headquarters while Rhodes learns to walk again with help from Stark Technology. Tony receives a package from Steve, who tells him that the Avengers belong to Stark and apologizes for not telling him about his parents. Steve breaks the prisoners free from Raft and promises that they will be there if Tony ever needs him. Um, I mean, look, this is some of the brilliance in the screenwriting is that Zemo has done the like just horrible thing after horrible thing after horrible thing. And he has played a hand in killing innocent people. But where you get conflicted is his logic is so sound. Like, you know, it to, to hear like him tell Thanos that st- logic. It, yeah. But, but, but it's different because Thanos logic. Like, 
there is a there, there's a cynical side of all of us that that goes eh, Thanos might have been onto something, but um, but with 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 Zemo, the difference is my son was excited to see the person that <sighs> ultimately killed him. That's the thing. It's it's so heartbreaking. It's so well written. It's so well acted. Like this whole thing just comes together so incredibly well. It guts you, and it's supposed to. Um, but I also love again how the Black Panther has been operating on his own. He managed to get there. He's still supporting Tony and Cap when they need him, without them really even knowing, because they're completely distracted, tearing each other apart at this point. So I love that. Black Panther now has the opportunity to deal with the big bad and he's got his shot to have his vengeance for his father. And now you really do see him walk in his father's footsteps because he shows Zemo mercy. He takes him in. He doesn't kill him and he could have so easily. Yeah. And it goes back to the theme of family. You know, Zemo did what he did to avenge his family. You know, and I feel like even um, T'Challa, you know, at some point realized that, you know, these people are my family or, you know, these people are all fighting. Everyone is fighting for the same thing, you know, to avenge their family. And so how do you, how do you wrong someone for doing the same thing that you're doing? Right. Everyone to protect their family everyone is willing to do what's necessary to protect where they're from, to protect their family. And so it's a, again, no one's wrong. And so you have to be able to show mercy. You know, you have to kind of figure out a way to be merciful because no one's wrong, you know? And it's like, ah, oh, it's so true. No one is wrong. And so how do you, how do you deal with that? You just, you show mercy and, um, yeah, it, yeah. What a, what a great movie. I love it as a character moment for T'Challa. It also defines that we can, in fact, trust him, being that he's not picked a side at this point, being that he has been operating on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that we get that definition. But it's not just the showing mercy. I also sort of love that they wrote to the idea of sometimes there are things worse than death when it's death is the easy way out because now Zemo is not going to be in pain anymore. He doesn't have to mourn his family by letting him live. He really does have to answer for his crimes. So it's so powerful and it's such a, um, a heavy moment and it's, it's nice to break up the fight because I feel like at some points the fights between the fight between Iron Man and Captain America does get a little bit gratuitous. I hate to say it, but it does drag on just a tiny bit too long. And I know that's why we bought the movie ticket. It's why we came to the party. It's what we want to see. We want to see Iron Man take on that shield. But there are points where it just feels like a bit drawn out. Yeah, I mean, I guess now's as good a time as any for final thoughts. And and I think from there we kind of talk about maybe where this ranks in in regards to the Captain America trilogy, I mean, I'll I'll bat lead off on this one. I think. Well, unless... I do have one more note. Okay. Well, two more actually. Um, I think I say this every time, but I mean it this time. This is the <laughs> best Stanley cameo of all time. Calling him Tony Stank. I love this little beat between Tony and Rhodey. Um, I love that we see that through Stark technology, he's going to try and help Rhodey get better, and that Rhodey is going to be okay. 
Um, but before we get to the final thoughts, the only other thing that I bump on, as far as this ending a trilogy, I don't know that I like Cap going out on a voiceover. I mean, like, yes, we see him go to break the rest of the Avengers out of prison, but... And I feel like this works as a way to resolve things with Tony where he gives him, you know, the uh, the burner phone. But I don't know. I just feel like it's so weird to end with him reading this letter. I mean, I, I think for Steve basically has to go into hiding at this point. He's a wanted man. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if there was any other way that you really could have pulled it off. And I, I also think that... Low key, I think that it speaks to how, at the end of the day, while you agree with both Steve and Tony, they're both, they both have an ego, they're both self-righteous, and if you had them have a face-to-face conversation and a face-to-face apology, I think that it kind of waters down what ultimately happens at the end of Endgame. So I, I think that... You, you needed to leave them in this very awkward position. Or even just when they're reunited in Endgame where Tony gives him the shield back. Because you leave them with, that's my father's shield, that belongs to me, he made that for you. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you still have to keep them at odds with each other to keep pushing this forward. I didn't need it to end on a handshake per se, but... Mm-hmm. I feel like they almost wrote themselves into a corner because you're right. You can't have a face-to-face. But again, when you just think about it in terms of Cap's trilogy, this is like the final exclamation on his story. So it goes out in a voiceover. Eh. And I I mean, I think, and it's hard to, it's hard to, um, to separate his trilogy as a trilogy only because this was used to set something else up. So it doesn't give him a complete, well-rounded, like, story, kind of. I think more than anything, we see him evolve into something different um, than we we seen from him in the beginning. But I do think even, um, it was just really the setup was to come because you know, even with the voiceover, I think that was a way to kind of fade to black a little bit. So, because when he is reintroduced, he's coming from the darkness, fading to the light. You know what right. I mean? In the whole train station sequence. So it's kind of like he's resurfacing from the shadows. Because the last thing we heard was his voice. You know what I mean? And so I think that was all, of course, intentional. Um, Yeah, that was all intentional. Um, But again, I don't feel like it's a complete trilogy. It is three, it is, it is three movies, but um, I don't think it's a like boom, boom, boom. It doesn't, it doesn't stand alone. It's not as self-contained as like Thor or Iron Man. Like, Tony's got his own battles because of things that he did through Stark Industries. Thor, Mm -hmm. I mean, is in another realm altogether. So, yeah, this this is why 
Captain America as a trilogy does feel so different to me because it is so ingrained in Avengers. That was something that it, it's what I didn't like or love the first time about watching Winter Soldier because you have it ingrained in S.H.I.E.L.D. This is ingrained in the Avengers, but it's not an Avengers movie. I think that's where, you know. Yeah. Well, why don't you two give your final thoughts on that? Because that's why I wanted, you know, I was looking forward to this conversation because I, I do want to fully form a decision about how I feel. And this is part of it. This is where I go back and forth is because it, it doesn't feel like a contained trilogy. So I'll, I'll bat lead off on this one. I think that in terms of an overall trilogy, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the best ones that Marvel has done in that all three movies are very good movies. Iron Man, the second movie, isn't really that great at all. Hey, man, where's my bird? It's just not that good. You know, the third one's <laughs> okay. Um, Thor The Dark World is the second worst Marvel film of all time, so automatically, you know, that, that really kind of puts a Thor behind the eight ball. Um Hulk, you don't have a trilogy. Doesn't seem like we're going to get one. Um, I think this, Guardians, a Spider-Man. Uh, I think I think Spider-Man, uh, people kind of forget that he's got that trilogy and that it is as strong as it is. Um, those three Tom Holland Spider-Man movies are very, very good. Um, but I, I think, to me, it's, it's 1A, 1B between this and Guardians of the Galaxy just in terms of a trilogy that contains three quality films overall. Um, I think it's a near-perfect film. Uh, is it perfect? No. Um, there were some missed opportunities here. Uh, there, there is, it, it, It's a long run time. The film doesn't drag on. But when you do go and watch some of the deleted scenes, not all of them, but some of them, you're like, why was this 42 seconds cut, but this three-minute segment was left in? Th there is just some question marks there. I think that as I rank them within its trilogy, to me, it's still Captain America, the first Avenger at the top of the list. I actually do put this film in front of Winter Soldier, um, but it overall, it's very good. I don't know that I'd put this in my top five in, in, in overall Marvel films. Um, certainly in the top 10, not in the top five, but it's still a very good movie. Um, but, but there is something to be said for a trilogy should end. This trilogy leaves things very open ended, but that's to service what happens in infinity war and Endgame. So, um, you can call it what it wants or what, or you can call it what you want, but I, I do believe that it is probably the strongest of all of Marvel's trilogies. And I, I, a hundred percent agree with that. And I feel like this, um, trilogy, um, with Captain America, this story with Captain America, civil war, um, it had to be the sacrificial lamb leading up to, um, you know, to, to, Infinity One Endgame. I don't think that there's another character uh, trilogy that they would have trusted um, to be in this position, um, only because I feel like the first two films were so good. Um, 
And so we can't say that for Iron Man. We can't say that for Thor. Um, and because he was the first Avenger, um, it only makes sense for his story to um, to kind of lead in and to be one of the the first to include all the Avengers or to have the Avengers fighting each other. I think it was just a perfect storm. Um, Civil War, of course, he is a um, a soldier. You know what I mean? Just all of these, all of the elements. Captain America, Civil War, you know, having um, the Avengers fight one another, leading up into a bigger fight that they're going to have to join back together. You know, I feel like it was a, a, a perfect storm. And though the movie isn't 100% perfect, I feel like it's very close to it. And though it, it's not um, the trilogy, there is no resolve per se, I think that is just a part of the sacrifice um, that they had to do in order to set up the rest of um, the MCU, you know, and what, what was to come. And again, I think what better franchise character to do so um, than the first Avenger, than the, one the, than the one that we trust the most, I feel like, the one that has the most consistent um, character, you know what I mean? Though he does have um, pride and he does have sort of an ego, you know, um, he's still not like braggadocious. He, he, I feel like he's the one that is the most temperate, you know, his, his, he has the most temperance out of the, out of the group as a leader. Um, and again, these, this is one of my favorite films in the MCU and they don't make them like this anymore. You know what I mean? They don't make, they haven't made films like this anymore since this with so much attention to detail and that sets up so much. Of course, you know, we have Infinity War, Infinity War, and we have, um, Endgame, but I feel like this was the first of its kind to do what it did and for that I will always love it and I will always it will always be one of my favorite um, films in the MCU um, so my final thoughts while not my favorite favorite um, as I mentioned before I don't go back and rewatch it nearly enough and I certainly will now because I certainly have a deeper appreciation for it um, as far as Cap's trilogy goes um, I do like this as a total arc for him as much as I don't love it ending on the voiceover and I don't love that it's not a self-contained trilogy um, looking at it in terms of a character study it is near perfect I think this had to happen and to your point Ricardo yeah it had to happen with Cap because this is really like the midpoint of the Infinity Saga when you think about it. We've seen them come together in the Avengers. We have seen them become a well-oiled machine in Age of Ultron. And then in Infinity War and Endgame, we're going to see what they've been building to as far as fighting the big bad. So were they going to give us another movie where everybody's getting along and working in tandem? This was the perfect place to hit it. Um, so while I feel like they sort of sacrificed the Cap story 
to do that in the bigger context of Avengers, there really was no one else that you could do that with because it wouldn't have worked with Iron Man. It wouldn't have worked with Thor. It wouldn't have worked with Spider-Man. So as much as I don't love an open-ended trilogy, I appreciate how they had to go about it here. So much so that had you asked me three months ago, I would have said that this is the best trilogy in the MCU. It is edged out by Guardians. Um, But while not my favorite movie, I certainly appreciate this for what it is and its role in the bigger picture. Well, we're interested in knowing what you have to say about Captain America Civil War and about the trilogy in general. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio, or you can email us monorailradio at gmail.com. Ricardo, thank you very much for giving us your time, for joining us again on Monorail Radio. We always love your perspective and love talking these films with you. Thank you for having me. Listen, I am down anytime you all want me to be here. You know how to reach me. You have an open invitation to come on anytime that you want. Please let our listeners know where they can find you. You can find me um, on all social platforms at Ricardo Luizon. That is R-I-C-A-R-D-O-L-O-U-I-S-O-N. All right. Well, we got news of the week coming up, but first we're going to take a very quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official Monorail news sponsor, and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. Listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONORAIL10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's artwork and services. It is online at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter N, KismetDesigns.com. All right, first bit of news, very exciting. Very exciting. Much anticipated, I think. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is coming to Disney Plus on August 2nd. Yes. So get your tissues ready if you've not seen it, though I don't know anyone who hasn't seen it yet. People went multiple times to see it in theaters, but if you've not yet, if you're one of the few, now is your chance. So that's the exciting news, Disney Plus related. Something else Disney Plus related that... Um... It makes sense, and it doesn't, and it's concerning all at the same time. Um, Obviously, well-documented work stoppage in Hollywood. Actors and screenwriters uh, are are in unity on this. Both are striking against the studios right now. So, um, the, the networks will not have programming ready for the fall. I had assumed that this means, well, they'll just rerun stuff from last season. Disney is taking an opportunity to uh, not only fill their slate, but also, no doubt, advertise Disney Plus, a streaming service that lost 4 million subscribers last quarter, um, because Miss Marvel is going to be on the fall slate for ABC this upcoming year. 
My initial reaction when I found out about this is then what are we paying for Disney Plus for? Right. If we're going to be able to see these things on ABC. I mean, I, I get it. I can appreciate the cross promotion, the co-branding. They don't do enough of that, in my opinion, when they put, you know, like a Sunday night movie on or something like that. I feel like they should still be utilizing ABC as a vehicle to advertise Disney Plus or to just be nice and give people the opportunity to watch some classic films. Um, So in that regard, I do don't mind the cross promotion especially leading into the marvel's movie that will be coming out in the fall um but in light of everything that's happened i was kind of like this is not the way to go about keeping your subscribers if you're going to give it to people for free why are we going to pay well because they're putting probably the most disliked original show on the network you know it's it's not like they're giving away they're not putting the Mandalorian. See, you notice they're yeah, not putting they're the not, Mandalorian yeah. on. Uh, they're not putting on anything that's really sought after. We haven't watched it yet. It's on our list of things to watch, but we just had so much that we were catching up on that Miss Marvel fell to the wayside, admittedly, because anybody we spoke to that watched it said the show was just not that great. Um, so I'm going to give it a chance. We're going to give it a chance. But you're taking something that no one really cared for universally, and that's what you're giving for free. But I think what you're doing is it's an advertisement to try and lure some people back. First off, if Disney actually thought, if they didn't have one person in the room saying, hey, folks, pandemic's going to end, and people are not going to be sitting in their sweatpants watching television for 14 hours a day anymore, we might see a drop-off. If no, if they didn't have one person that put that in front of them, then they didn't hire the right uh, analysts and forecasters. You had to imagine that you were going to lose subscribers, especially when you jumped to uh, you know a hundred million subscribers seemingly overnight. You you reached your year five number, so you're still ahead of the curve, by the way, because you reached your you reached right. your year five number in like year three. So we shouldn't be crying over a loss. Um. But, I mean, I, I think what it does is it just gives people access to content. And you know what? Miss Marvel might strike a chord with somebody that didn't subscribe to Disney Plus and might say, you know, for $6.99 or $7.99 a month, ad-supported, of course, uh, it's worth me jumping on because maybe I will watch WandaVision, which Disney didn't put on. ABC or Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which they didn't put on to ABC. You see what I'm saying? Like they're not putting on any of their bangers. They're not doing High School Musical, the musical, the series. It. They're not doing Muppets Mayhem. I, I see the perspective of what are we paying for, but it's not like they. If they had filled the entire fall slate with nothing but Disney Plus content, then I would say, okay, what's the point? We can DVR it and keep it for free. Um. I think the other streaming services are going to do this. I think Peacock will do it. Paramount will do it. Um, and really all it's going to do is buy them time. It'll be interesting to see. You hope that this doesn't spill over into the late fall and the winter. But if this spills over into Springbook and and your your winter series, if they start pilfering more from the streaming services, 
they may look at this as an opportunity to say, well, the hell with it. We've got all of this content that's never made it to air. So if we're not going to have that 4 million people per month subscribing at $7 a month, we're going to put this stuff on air and we're going to sell advertising money and we're going to get our revenue that way. That's the only thing where if, if all of these studios come together and go the hell with it, we're bulletproof. We can buy ourselves some time. That's the only thing I can see where this would be a drawback. Well, I think the other advertising aspect of it, too, is not just to advertise your Disney Plus catalog. The other school of thought is that with SAG on strike, actors cannot do press and promote their own films. This is Disney's way of promoting the Marvels because this was the lead in. So right. I think they're trying to there. The hope is that they're trying to drum up attention that way, because to me, if you're trying to advertise Disney Plus, it would behoove them to put on something like a Loki or a WandaVision where you have other parts of the franchise where people are going to go, gee, I need to see the rest of Wanda's story play out. Let me subscribe again so I can see her in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. I, I think this is less about trying to, now that we're talking through it, less about trying to advertise Disney Plus and get subscribers back and more about them being concerned on how to promote this film which comes out in November which is concerning to me because are you telling me that you think the actors are still going to be on strike by then and not promoting their own films oh my gosh no this has to end give them what they want we're interested in knowing what you have to say about this latest bit of Disney news. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio, or you can email us monorailradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and threads at Monorail Radio. I just gave you the email address. And for links to everything related to the show, it is online at monorailradio.com. I'm for- going to go spiral now. You go ahead. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.